You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yes, Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome today online in the room. So great to have so many of you here. Uh, I just got back last night from the Every Nation Campus National Student Conference, staying up till one o'clock in the morning. Uh, glad to get home and get a good night's sleep. So pretty sure I've aged out of all that, but that's why God made coffee, amen, uh, for college students, pastors who stay up too late, and for new parents especially. So anyway, praise the Lord for that. But uh, as you can see, our corporate fast is coming up, something that we do every year with our global spiritual family called Every Nation. Just want to take a moment and really, really encourage you, strongly encourage you not to miss your moment, to participate at whatever level you can, whether it's abstaining from food or screens or something like that or all of that, our goal, your goal is just to create space for you to meet with God and see something amazing happen as we begin the new year. So, but again, along with the fast, we also do something else along with Every Nation to kick off the year every year. It's a message series, and this year our theme, you saw from the video there, is miracles. We're taking a look at the miracles of Jesus from the Gospel of John all through January, starting this week in chapter two, and we're gonna be believing for your miracle along the way as well. So here we go, scripture reading is John chapter two, verses one through 11. You can follow along on the screen. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood sticks, stone, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And that's the reading of God's word all his people today said. Amen. Yeah, whenever something or someone becomes popular or successful or well-known, it's normal and kind of natural, I think, to go back and look at where it all began. Maybe a few examples. You can think of, first of all, of Will Smith, yeah, the actor, and think of the massive movie star that he's become, all Oscar slaps aside. And you can go back and look at him way back in the day in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, see the show and say, sure, he's got something going on there. Or you can think about all that the Marvel movie world has become. It's massive, but it all started with one film back in 2008. And if you go back and watch it, you can say, sure, They've got something going on there. 
Third, you can think of Stephen Curry, who has changed the game of basketball. And if you know his career, you can go back and watch the games that he played way back in the NCAA tournament. And no, he wasn't then what he's become now. But you watch him then and say, sure, there's something going on there. And in the same way, that's what's happening here in John chapter 2 with this inaugural, initial, first ever opening miracle performed by Jesus Christ. John, the writer of this, looking back on this, he's writing as if to say, yeah, all the way back at the beginning, there was something going on there. So what was going on? Well, this whole story, we're told, happens, first words of the text, the passage are, on the third day. On the third day. Now, for early Christian readers reading this right away, this would have triggered thoughts of what? Come on. The resurrection. Yeah, in other words, here, there's something Jesus is trying to show us about resurrection life here, about what it means to have something come to an end and then be raised back to life. So, what? miraculous resurrection life lesson is Jesus trying to show us here. What does he want? Maybe, maybe even to miraculously raise back to life in your life, in your heart, in your family today. Well, here on the third day, we're going to look at it. Jesus performs a miracle of joy, a miracle of joy. On the third day, for all the people in his life, Jesus raised joy from a dead, and that's good news for us today. And we can see all of this through the very simple plot line in the passage. There are three things that happen here that show us how Jesus brings joy back into our lives. Here in this passage, number one, we're going to see him. The wine flows. The wine runs out. And finally, the wine is restored. So let's take a look at each of these in turn and then spend some moments applying it all at the end. Y'all ready? All right. I don't, you're not convinced. All right. Y'all ready? Galen is. Praise the Lord. All right. He's an elder. He's supposed to be, right? All right. I'll take it. Number one here, it says the wine flows. And Jesus, of course, as the passage tells us, he's at a wedding in Cana in Galilee. That's a little rural town in the north of Israel, looked down on by the fancy folks in the south in Jerusalem. Now, weddings would sometimes go up to seven days in first century Jewish culture, and it was the responsibility of the groom's family to provide the wine. And the wine, of course, is what made it a feast. It's what kept the party going for a whole week. And here, in the middle of the party, the drink dries up. John tells us that the wine was gone and the wedding is now in danger of crashing to a halt. And of course, in a shame and honor culture, that would have brought enormous disrespect upon and shame upon the groom and his family. And so into the middle of all of this potential social embarrassment steps Jesus. He does a miracle. It says everyone there tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Jesus ensures everything continues. And yeah, we'll look at how he does this and why he does this in just a moment. But before that, we shouldn't rush past the fact that he does this. In other words, in contrast to the miracles that are to come, this first one seems kind of low level, kind of pedestrian, like not a big deal. 
I mean, come on. Elsewhere, Jesus opens blind eyes, enables lame people to walk again, but here he basically steps in to save the caterer. I mean, I mean, why? I mean, the answer is, here it is, it's because Jesus wants the wine to flow in our lives. Wine, of course, is the biblical metaphor for joy, for joy. And the fact that Jesus steps in in his first miracle just to save two teenagers from social ridicule, it ought to send a message that he's not getting warmed up here for greater stuff later, like a, like a pitcher who needs to throw in the bullpen to get his arm loose before he comes in. It's not like Jesus is here like, well, I gotta make sure I got it going on down here in the minors in Galilee before I hit the majors in Jerusalem later. No, no, no. He's sending the message. I care about your joy. I care about you experiencing joy right now, today, even in the small stuff, even in your daily life, even what seems to be your small plans. I mean, people, you know this, people will say, I've heard this, maybe you have, people will say, God, you know, God doesn't really care about finding you a nice parking spot in front of the mall. He really only cares about stuff like world hunger, or ending poverty, or ending wars. And to a certain extent, man, I get that. It's, it's a fair point. It's not unfair. But on the other hand, think about this miracle here. What war is Jesus ending here? Come on, if he cares enough about keeping the bar tab open to make sure this family's wedding goes well, don't you think he cares about your tests, your grades, your life, your bills, your aches, your pains? He does. Jesus wants the wine to flow in our lives. But it's not only, hear me, that he wants it to flow. He wants it to flow from him. Because where does all of this take place? It's not just at any kind of party. It's at, yeah, a wedding. And as a pastor and as a minister, of course, I've been privileged to officiate and to do many, many weddings. And so when I do that, I always get the best seat in the house. What I mean is that along with the groom, I get to see the bride coming down that aisle coming around the corner, the church doors, if it's in a church opening and, and her heading down right toward us. And I've been there and I've done that bit so many times, but it never fails to get to me. The emotion brought about by the sight of the bride coming down toward the groom. And just like I did on my wedding day, you know, the groom's eyes, I always see them widen. His pulse quickens. His smile gets bigger. Heart starts to beat out of this, you know, rented tuxedo. Doesn't fit too well, you know. It's a magic moment, and you can practically feel the desire for his bride radiating off of the groom. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know that's how Jesus Christ feels about you? Hmm? Do you know that's how much Jesus Christ longs? For you. I mean, what else can he mean when he later calls himself not just a bridegroom, but come on, the bridegroom? He doesn't just want the wine to flow in your life, he doesn't just want you to have joy in any old place. He wants you to experience from him joy, the bridegroom whose heart beats for the one that he loves. Is this how you know him? Is this how you relate to him? Or is God only demanding? and distant. 
like the dad you never knew. That's not who Jesus says that God, our heavenly father, is like. No, Jesus shows us a God who is the joy bringer. But why did he have to do his miracle in the first place? Number one, of course, we saw the wine is flowing here. But he does this miracle because number two, at this wedding, first the wine flows. And yes, number two, the wine runs out. The wine runs out and this, this, we're going to look at this. This is the plot point of every life, of every soul, at every party, in every life, at some time, some way, somehow, the wine runs out. The wine runs out. You can see it. You can see it in the story arc of a single human's life. Some of you, some of you just saw this and you experienced this maybe a bit at Christmas. Uh, the reason why so many of you, I know I do, so many people want to be around Christmas, around children at Christmas, is because for them, for kids, Christmas hadn't gotten old. Christmas is so new. It's so fresh. It brings out so much joy and happiness. Kids just make Christmas better. For them, the wine of Christmas, it hadn't run out. Or, or for example, when a child looks up in the sky and says, look, daddy, mommy, you know, auntie, uncle, grandparent, an airplane. What's your response? Is it? Sure is, kid. Hope it doesn't fall on you. <laughs> or is it, yep, just another giant, you know, heavier than air, metallic tube, flying hundreds of miles an hour through the sky, carrying hundreds of passengers and lots of bags and animal support service animals across the country in a fraction of the time it would take to drive. No big deal. You've seen it once. You've seen it a thousand times. Who's more right? Hmm? The child who gasps in wonder or the adult who scoffs in cynicism. I've got a pastor friend. He's actually close friends himself with a former NBA star. Guy's retired now. But that player was someone on a team. And this team had won multiple NBA championships. And my friend told me something that his friend told him had taken place in the locker room right after winning an NBA championship. Another player in that locker room that day, this guy was the MVP of the NBA Finals. After all the cheering on the court, he came back in the locker room, sat down in front of his locker, put his head in his hands, looked around and asked, is this all there is? Is this it? What's he saying? The wine is running out. And this, by the way, this isn't an external problem. No, no, this is an internal problem. It's not something fundamentally wrong with the world that God gave us. No, it's something that's fundamentally wrong with us. G.K. Chesterton, the great British novelist, Roman Catholic thinker, said this, the world will never starve for lack of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Now look, I thought about that quote, and like, put some pictures here together for you. I mean, look at these in turn. Look at that. That's a real picture. A real mountain. I mean, look at, the, look at the turtle. Look at those colors. Look at the ears. Come on. On the elephant. I mean, look at it's like something from Pandora or something, but it's real. Look at the colors, the trees, the lake. I mean, come, come on. Look at it's where you like want to go on vacation. Look at all of these. Come on, with all of these in the world, how could we ever get cynical, enjoy less? Why do we get tired of daddy, daddy, do it again? 
but the child never does. Why do we, some of us obsess, camp out literally for that new smartphone only to have it go in a shelf or in a drawer two weeks later? Why do we start off in love and say, I do, then maybe leave our spouse for another? It's because the wine is running out. The joy in life can ebb away. New York Times just ran this story a few weeks ago. I saw it. The headline caught my eye. It was looking at the end of the year music charts, and the headline read this. Did that hit arrive in 2022 or 1987? 2022, it was hard to tell. And the article, the author looked at how more than ever this past year, 2022, more songs than ever were hits based largely on music samples from the past. And of course, there can be good things from this, you know, like the new generation collaborating with another generation. And the article noted all that, but just made this point, perhaps, perhaps, culturally speaking, aesthetically speaking, the reason we make so much of this kind of music now is because we as a people, especially our creatives, are just not inspired anymore. Maybe the fact that we make this now, what mostly makes it now are movie sequels, and music samples, it just shows us we've all grown a little or a lot, tired, joyless. See, there's a fundamental problem with us, which is this. We've become disconnected from the joy giver, from the wine maker. And we even reinforce this, do we not, with our own cultural narratives, our own cultural stories, stories like this. We've all come from nothing, nothing. No God involved anywhere. Nothing created us. So our origin means nothing. And therefore, we're going back to nothing one day. And therefore, this material world, here's what all that means. That means that if you see stuff, like the pictures that you just saw, or better yet, you go there in person. If you feel like something when you see them or go there, whatever you feel, it's not really a real thing. That's just a trick of your glands designed to get you to live longer? But why? I don't know. But our modern atheistic story tells us that beauty and joy are just illusions. They're meaningless. But my question is why? If we came from nothing and we're going to nothing, why would our brains work so hard to trick us to make us feel like something is beautiful and meaningful if everything is really meaningless? If it's, such a, if it's a trick, why is it such a powerful trick? Our culture says, don't think too hard about that. No matter, it's just matter. There's no mystery. There's no magic. There's no wonder in the world. See, we've become disconnected from the joy giver, the wine maker. The wine is running out. But, but what does Jesus offer us at every moment? Whatever our struggle is, if we're struggling with mental health, our physical health, relational health, food, gender, sexuality, marriage. What do we see here happen at the end of the story after the wine runs out? We read, ultimately, number three, that the wine is restored. Wine is restored. And it all begins like all good stories begin when Jesus' mother decides to get involved. Her mom got involved, and mom, Mary here, comes up to Jesus, maybe not knowing the fullness of who he is, but definitely knowing he's got some power, he is different, and she approaches him because likely, at that moment, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, has passed away. Jesus is now, culturally speaking, the man of his house, her house, so Mary says this to Jesus, they have no more wine. 
And sure, this seems like kind of a typical mom move, does it not? <laughs> like there's, there's actually no request here. <laughs> Just a statement of observation. It's a little passive aggressive, kind of like when your mom may have said to you, your hair's messed up, room smells funny, you have a hole in your jeans, you know your makeup's a little off. <laughs> what, what, but what does Jesus say in return? Woman, <laughs> why do you involve me? Not mother, not mom, not ma'am, not from the South, right? But woman, it's like he's mad. Is he frustrated? I think more likely, most likely, he's startled out of something. Look at what he says next. He says, my hour has not yet come. Listen, every place in the Gospel of John where you see this term, hour, it's a technical term. Jesus is speaking specifically about his death. Over and over he says stuff like, the hour has not yet come. Later he says an hour is coming. At the end of his life he says, the hour has now come. See, the hour means his death. So, here in Cana at the wedding, Mary says, the bar is closed. Jesus says, what's your problem, lady? I'm not ready to die. What? This isn't as much of a non sequitur or something out of nowhere kind of thing as you might think because, think about it, Jesus is how old here? Come on. He's roughly 30 years of age. He's not married. He is single. And probably, like all of you singles know, especially once you start getting into your 30s, everybody starts asking, what's your status? You got somebody, right? Someone on a radar, on a horizon. When are you getting married and especially in that culture, when everyone married so young, Jesus was an outlier to be single and 30. He's likely here at this wedding already been asked about his marital status. And even if he wasn't, when you go to a wedding, what do probably, likely, certainly all of us do? If you're married or single or divorced, you likely think about your wedding in the past or your wedding in the future. If you're single, you almost for certainly sure think about your future wedding. Who's it gonna be with? When's it gonna be? What's it gonna be like? So when Jesus responds to a simple request with, it's not my time to die, what's he telling you? He's telling you he's been startled out of thinking about his own wedding thinking about what it's going to take, what it's going to cost him to bring about his own wedding one day. See, he's sitting here in the middle of that moment of joy, thinking about the sorrow he will one day experience. And therefore, therefore, when Mary essentially asks him, can you make the wine flow again, Jesus? Can you, can you fix the party, Jesus? Can you make the wedding happen, Jesus? Jesus says back to her, oh, mother, you have no idea. You have no idea, I will make the wedding happen. I will fix everything. And as a sign that he will, Jesus gets up, he goes to the back of the room and he finds it says six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. So these were used by the Jewish people for religious washing. Before they ate, they had to wash. If they touched something bad, they had to wash. If they touched someone unclean, they had to wash. The list went on and on, not just for sanitation, but for purification. They washed to remind themselves of their sinfulness and God's holiness. They washed to remind themselves of the gap that 
that existed between them and a holy God. And the only way life worked was when you remembered that. And what did then Jesus do with those six stone jars? See, six is the number of humanity in the Bible. It's imperfection in numerical form, incompleteness in Hebraic Jewish thought. Seven is the number of completion, perfection. Oh, but six is the opposite, the number of incompletion, imperfection. So Jesus takes how many? Not seven, six stone jars representing the imperfection of humanity used to wash off the imperfection of humanity. These represented everything unclean, soiled, useless, joyless about human existence. And he turns them not just into wine, but into $5,000 a bottle kind of stuff. And the master of ceremonies, who did not know what had happened, he takes the groom aside and he says, everyone brings out the choice stuff first and the cheaper stuff later after everybody's had a little too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. See, this shows us Jesus offers us a better cup, a better drink than anything or anyone else has to offer in this life. And he can do this now because one day he would drink another cup, the cup of God's just wrath against evil and against sin. Jesus drank that cup we should have had to drink, you should have had to drink, the poisoned cup of suffering, and it killed him. He became a stone jar full of death and decay, imperfection, unrighteousness, so that we could get what he truly deserved, the cup of joy. And listen, this miracle is a sign that points to all of that. And right there, I may have lost some of you. As you with the party part, you're like, I like the wine part. Yep, that's pretty good stuff, Morgan. You may have been reluctantly like, okay, sure, the wine's kind of running out, had a hard year. But the death part, the wrath on evil part, God's judgment bit Morgan, isn't that like just super antiquated? We don't really believe that anymore, do we? It's regressive. Here's what I have to say to you, if that's you, which is that you will never experience wonder at the person of Jesus Christ. True joy will never be yours if you never grasp why he had to drink the cup of wrath in your place. Think about it like this. Let me give you an illustration. For most of the 20th century, maybe you've been here, up in Yellowstone National Park, I've been there, beautiful place. It's one of the great natural wonders in our country. Wolves, wolves were believed to be harmful to the other animals there and a threat to people. And so they were hunted to near extinction. It was thought that the rest of the park would flourish if the wolves were removed. They took the wolves out, and so the United States government and scientists agreed to do just that. But after they did that, precisely the opposite happened. Suddenly, all the herbivores, like deer and elk, overgrazed, which meant the flora and the fauna, much of the plant life decreased. And because of that, there wasn't enough plant life to maintain the banks of the rivers. And because of the banks, the rivers began to crumble. The rivers filled in. The water sank lower. And because the rivers weren't flowing, the flowers stopped growing and the whole ecosystem declined. But then, 1995, just a small handful of wolves were reintroduced in the Yellowstone National Park after being gone for nearly 70 years. And one ecologist described the effect of that this way. A few years ago, Gary Walkner wrote, Willows, as a result, grew higher, spread more widely. Beavers returned. 
and made ponds. Plants and animals returned, including songbirds and trout. Elk carrion fed scavengers such as grizzlies and ravens. And coyote populations dropped, resulting in more ground squirrels and gophers, which in turn fed hawks and eagles. Basically, the whole thing grew back. What am I, what am I trying to say? Am I trying to say God's like a predator? <laughs> no. By no means. And if that's what you hear, then you've missed what I mean. What I am trying to say is the gospel works like an ecosystem. Different parts are interconnected. See, when judgment is removed, because we don't like how that feels, we don't like how that seems, if the judgment of God feels like a threat to us, if we don't like the cross of Christ, and we only want the wine of Christ, we end up with no wine at all. No joy or life. See, the wolf leads to flowers. The cross leads to the wine, to the joy. It's all connected. That's just how it works. And no, this world was never meant for evil, for suffering, for death. But the cross, the judgment of God, shows you that God can redeem even death and bring life and joy through it and out of it. We want the wine, Jesus. We want joy, Jesus, the party goer said. All right, he said but I'm gonna have to die for you to get it. I'll go to the cross to give you the cup of joy. Listen, Jesus didn't come to bring judgment, but to bear it, but to bear it, and he did. Do you want joy this year, 2023? I hope you'd say yes. I encourage you to think about who died for you and why. The joy bringer, the wine maker died to bring that to you. So as we begin to close, let me just apply this super fast in five ways. Five ways for our coming year, coming week as we begin our fast here first. Apply this as a church. How do we apply this message? As a church, let me encourage us. Let's make wine together. What I mean is when we come into this space, bring your encouragement, bring your words, bring your faith, bring the life of God and seek to lift someone else here before you go. Don't just come and leave. Don't be afraid also to bring someone else. Sure to this kind of party. Second, as Christ followers, let me exhort you for a second, to take responsibility for your own joy. I know it's hard to hear, but listen, if this is what Christ offered us, is this what people see in our lives, my life? Third, as single and married people, let me encourage you, encourage me, sip the coming joy, even if your own wedding story isn't working out like you hoped or thought, because if you follow Christ, your story ends with joy. Why not sip that right now? The truth is, if another person, listen, as great as Carrie is, if she's my caterer in life, the wine will always run out, but Jesus never will. Fourth, in prayer, let me encourage you, in prayer, this week especially, listen to Mary. What do I mean? What did Mary say? She said, do whatever he says. <laughs> Why, at first, Jesus turns down a request, but he later fulfills it. Sometimes with the stuff we're believing for, there can be a gap between prayers prayed and answers received. In the meantime, let's respect Jesus' leadership. Do what he says. And finally, finally, for someone new today, say, I do, to Jesus. Have the courage to cross that line and follow him. Church, let me take a moment here and pray for us as we begin to close here super fast. Lord, I thank you for our day-to-day, -day, our the launch of this year, January 8th, 2023, in our calendar. But Lord, I thank you for the, the promise that you're the joy maker, you're the wine maker, you're the joy bringer in our lives. I pray we would taste that this week. Sure, as we fast, yeah, as we pray, as we encounter you. 
Would you bring that through into our lives in a radical, new, deep, profound way? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.